Chapter Five of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Miss Teresa Dalton takes Alice to the opera. Hansel and Gretel. Miss Margaret was prompt in visiting the Morrow family, and to her astonishment and dismay, matters she discovered were very much in the same distressful condition as on her first visit she reported to me at once it is an extraordinary case i observed it certainly puzzles me the man looks fairly strong his eye and complexion are clear and still he's again in the ranks of the unemployed but even supposing there's a good reason for his being out of work how comes it that he hasn't one cent to tide over such times hereafter i'm going to visit them regularly i think said i it would be advisable the children are lovely, well cared for, and Alice is sort of an infant phenomenon. I found her telling the others the story of Hansel and Gretel. She said it was their favorite. Then she told me that she intends to be an author and write books. Who knows? She might be. Isn't it an awful thing to meet these little children every day, not knowing what beautiful thoughts, what heavenly music, what lofty aspirations may be already germinating in their little heads? She certainly has beautiful thoughts, father. Her first book is going to be dedicated to you, and if she gets a thousand dollars for it, she is going to give you half. With the rest of the money, she intends bringing the entire family to see a circus, and then take them for a trip around the world. Talking of a circus, I cried, that reminds me of something even better for Alice. I noticed that the opera Hansel and Gretel is to be given Friday evening at Music Hall. Alice would certainly enjoy it. Yes, I don't know of any child in the city who would enjoy it more. It is her favorite fairy tale, and I fancy that Humperdinck's music would appeal to her. It's a pity she can't go to see it. I think I can arrange that, Father. My sister Teresa intends to take in one night of the opera, and she can easily arrange for that night and take Alice with her. On Saturday afternoon the following letter reached me. Dear Father, Your little friend Alice was with me last night at the opera, Hansel and Gretel, and I must write to tell you about it. She saw the opera, but I did not. She missed nothing from the rise of the curtain to its fall. As for myself, I spent most of my time in watching her. She sat motionless, her body at least was motionless, gazing at everything going on upon the stage. But her face! You should have seen the changes. Merriment, laughter, pity, awe, enthusiasm. I couldn't begin to describe the emotions that were chasing one another upon her face. During the dance between Hansel and Gretel, she seemed to be dancing, too, and still nothing moved but her eyes and her face. That's it. Her face and eyes were dancing, and when the angels came upon the stage in stately procession, the little girl looked as I imagine little girls ought to look when they are safe in heaven. She was in an ecstasy, apparently. Men and women around her turned their eyes from the stage to watch her. Even a few sitting in front of us turned around. But she took no notice of their glances. She was wrapped up to some seventh heaven of childhood, a place few children reach. When the angels disappeared, she came to herself with a little sigh, a sort of a parry at the gate of heaven, getting one little glimpse of the splendors within, only to have the gates closed in her face. I sometimes think that all children are artists in embryo, and they do not grow up with their aesthetic sense developed, because we grown folk don't give them a chance to see the beauty all around us. Anyhow, I'm so glad you suggested Alice seeing the opera, 
and although I did not pay much attention to the performance, the two hours and a half I spent at Music Hall were the pleasantest, in the way of pleasure, I have ever spent. Your little fairy is quite at home in fairyland. Next summer, if Ben greets woodland players come to the zoo, I intend, please God, taking Alice to see Midsummer Night's Dream. I escorted Alice home, and all the way her conversation was a succession of ohs and ahs and exclamation points. There is one little circumstance on our arriving at her home, God help us, which caused me a little wonder. We had not quite started up the staircase, leading to the third story, when her mother came hurrying down to meet us. She seemed ill at ease, thanked me for my kindness to Alice, and bade me good night, saying, I won't ask you up. The children are all sleeping, and they are so easily awakened. She spoke in a low voice, and was evidently very nervous. She seemed to be afraid of my coming upstairs. This is a long letter, but I thought you would be interested in Alice's first play. Come and see us real soon. Joined by all the family and best wishes, and begging your prayers for a special intention, I am, yours sincerely, Teresa. But this letter was by no means the last echo of the fairy opera. Toward noon I was called to the telephone, and there ensued the following conversation. I gave all the preliminaries, because it illustrates what a busy priest must endure with sodalities numbering hundreds of members, a boys' and girls' school of eleven hundred, and an acquaintance among young women of I don't know how many. St. Xavier's School, I declared. Hello? Yes. Is this St. Xavier's School? That's what I said, and this is Father Carney talking. Is that you, Father Carney? Yes, that's what I said. What? Yes, I began to bellow. This is Father Carney. Oh, good morning, Father. Don't you know me? Who is it? This is Margaret. Margaret? Margaret who? Why, Margaret Sullivan. Which Margaret Sullivan? Oh, don't you remember me? Then I became heroic. Probably I do. I know of three Margaret Sullivans in the young lady's sodality, two Margaret Sullivans in the children of Mary, two Margaret Sullivans now at St. Xavier's School, four who have attended it in the last six years, and about eight Margaret Sullivans who belong neither to school nor sodality. Well, I'm the one of the young lady's sodality who works at Wurlitzer's. Ah, now we can go on. No wonder I reflected that some men will use profane language. Glad to hear from you, Margaret. What is it? There was a little girl in here about an hour ago, about ten years old, with a smaller sister. She said her name was Alice Morrow. Do you know her? I certainly do. Did she want to buy a piano? Irony is a dangerous thing on the phone. Miss Sullivan, at considerable length, pointed out to me the improbability, all things considered, of Alice Morrow's investing in a piano. Well, what does she want? I broke in. She asked if I knew you, father, then if I liked you, and when I told her yes, she asked me to shake hands. I hear, she said, that you've got a thing for the talking machine with Hansel and Gretel music on it, she said. Then I said, yes, we've got a very nice selection from Hansel and Gretel. Would you? she said. Please play it for me. I took the two kitties into a small music room, father, and put the Hansel and Gretel record on for them. At the first strain, Alice jumped and whispered to her sister, That's just it. Then she listened, standing perfectly still, holding fast to her sister's hand. There was someone I thought I knew passing our music room, and I turned to see whether I was right. Are you listening, father? Most intently. Well, 
As soon as I turned my back, your young friend began to move to the music. I could see her every motion reflected in the glass. You know, Father, our music rooms have glass walls. I kept my face turned from her, and the little girl, thinking that her sister was the only witness, began to whirl and turn to the music in a way that was simply amazing. Is she a professional? Not to my knowledge. No, certainly not. Well, I never saw the like. She danced to that music as though she had been trained to it. You know, or rather I should have said, it is the dance song for Hansel and Gretel in the play. The way Alice Merrill did it was simply astonishing. How could she have learned it? So far as I know, Miss Sullivan, the girl never took a dancing lesson in her life. Well, can you beat it? When the music finished, she asked me to play it again. She did not dance the second time. Then she asked me whether she could pay me another visit next Saturday. I told her she would be welcome. You say she never had a dancing lesson? I do. Then she must be a fairy. You have guessed it, Miss Sullivan. Alice Merrill is the fairy of the snows. The what? Miss Sullivan's voice expressed all manner of question marks and exclamation points. Alice Morrow, I repeated firmly, is the fairy of the snows. Oh, cried Miss Sullivan, and hung up the receiver. End of chapter 5 Recording by Maria Therese